Hello, friends, and welcome to the Deeper Daily Podcast. For the 28th day of February, I'm your host, Paul White. We break away from our Genesis journey with the Abraham, Isaac, Jacob stories. We go into our essay edition for this month. The following is the DDP essay edition for February 2022. Our essay this month takes a look at marriage. We are all involved in a spiritual marriage as part of the church with Christ as the bridegroom, but that spiritualizes the institution and doesn't really help us much in navigating our own actual marriages. When our starting point is the union of Christ and His church, well, we can get stuck in the finer points of submission and expectations, and inevitably, we really only find comfort in knowing that we're a rather unfaithful bride who is loved despite herself. In short, when we speak of marriage to believers, we almost always ignore the day-to-day issues in favor of some higher spiritual lesson. This essay will do no such thing. You know the spiritual side, and if you don't, stare at Ephesians 5 for a while. For most of my ministry, I've shied away from a lot of teaching on marriage. It wasn't because I was scared of the topic or that I didn't think I had something to say. I avoided it for a couple reasons, both of which I've been grappling with lately, thus this essay. The first reason for my reticence was my age. I started pulpit ministry at 15 years old. Basically, that just means that pastors would give me a chance to deliver the sermon, and I took it. In my middle America upbringing of the 80s and 90s, if you were a teenager and you could actually stand in front of other teenagers and deliver a cogent sermon without stuttering or mumbling or passing out, there was no shortage of opportunities. No shortage of youth services, lock-ins or retreats or camps for you to speak at. Having a young preacher to preach to young people was believed to be the way to relevance. Well, I was also blessed with opportunity due to my dad being a pastor who had come up as a young evangelist himself. And all those churches that had him in the 1970s were more than willing to give his kid a chance. And by age 18, I was pastoring a church, a fact that staggers me now, And before I was 20, I had begun to travel and evangelize along with being a youth pastor, a worship leader, and hosting a local radio program. I got involved in ministry anywhere and everywhere I could. Now, part of grown-up ministry was marriage. And what young minister could be effective if he was having to navigate the dating world? At 18, just months after taking my first church, I married Natasha whom I met while preaching a youth revival in her hometown. She was leading worship, and I was smitten. The rest is history. From the beginning of ministry, I was a kid, literally and figuratively. That mindset permeated everything I did, as I was always used to being the youngest preacher on the bill. My age didn't seem to matter much when it came time to preach a youth revival, but it was a stumbling block in some other areas of doctrine, I hadn't seen enough to relay personal experience. I was too young to know the way things used to be. I was too young to have any substantive ideas about leadership, and I was certainly unable to speak to having kids or to a successful marriage. Well, the truth is, all of these things were correct. I was too young. I mean, honestly, I was too young for most everything. 
But it is what it is, and I survived. If I had to do it over again, I'd mess it up because I would put common sense into some areas, and while it would be the technically correct thing to do, I might not be where I am today. Thus, in the end, I celebrate the journey. Well, the second reason that I haven't done much teaching on marriage is related to the first, but is the one that I've only recently come to terms with. I've had so many people shake their head in disbelief when I tell them that we were 18 when we got married. They've laughed. They've looked stunned. They've inevitably asked why. I'm sure the first assumption was that Natasha was pregnant. She wasn't. Lucas didn't come along for nearly five more years. I suppose we were too dumb to wait to get married, but smart enough to know we didn't need to be parents. But I let those looks, those head shakes and questions intimidate me for the longest time. Maybe we were idiots. I mean, what were we thinking? Since we were so young and obviously too naive to grow up a little bit, play the field, see what's out there, maybe we shouldn't be trusted. Once an ignorant 18-year-old, always an ignorant 18-year-old, right? Well, maybe only if you remain 18. But I didn't remain 18, and although I'm still ignorant In many areas, I'm not as green as I used to be. However, I still feel like that young man who probably needs some more experience. In some ways, it has served me well. I'm less likely to think I know it all and maybe a little slow to think I know much of anything. But the negative is that I often discount how far I've come and what I might have to offer. I have to stop thinking like that young man that is looked at as ignorant and realize that here we are, nearly 27 years into marriage and still going strong. And I can look at it as dumb luck, of which there has been plenty, or I can assume we did a few things right. And finally, I'm willing to admit the latter. So this is for those who are married, either for the first time or the fifth, and it's for those who are considering marriage. Even those who want nothing to do with marriage at all can probably learn something. Even if it is just that they are right, marriage is not for them. Here are three pieces of advice. Now, they're not the only things you need to know, and they may not even be the most important, but they are three that have been vital for our marriage. Maybe what we've been through can be of benefit to you and what you will face or navigating what you have faced. One, be honest. I used to say communication was the most important thing in a marriage, but I found that's too ambiguous. Communication could mean send your spouse an email or write them a note, but it could also mean have a long conversation or send a nonverbal message by not saying anything at all. Communication is saying words or sending messages, and it doesn't require you to be honest. Because you can communicate falsely or send partial information. You're talking, but you aren't saying anything. This is useless. Honesty is when you tell the truth about how you feel and what you expect. You don't masquerade and you don't make your partner guess. Honesty starts with yourself, being honest about what's going on inside and then laying that out to your partner. When you are less than honest, you create a version of yourself that is less than true. And then you force your partner to deal with that version, which they will do at their own peril. Because when push comes to shove, they only know the version you have presented, and thus they are caught off guard. Didn't you see this coming? Well, how could I? 
Things look totally fine. Honesty is more than admitting stuff, like when you fail or when you attempt to be transparent. It is being proactive so that you put the real you out there. When you're honest, it could be the answer for your emotional stability or even your sex life. Being honest will not fix everything, but being less than honest will cause a wound that will fester. And it may not burst soon, but it will indeed burst. Number two, don't think love fixes everything. It doesn't. Love creates vulnerability. You risk pain when you love. It's that risk that makes love so exciting. If you refuse the risk, you miss the reward. But what you bring to the table or what you hide is still the real you. And the excitement of love will not take that away. Love can delay the inevitable, but it cannot avoid it. If Christ demands us to take up our cross to follow him, and we know love is a part of our relationship, then why must we ask that the cross be necessary at all? Loving God and being loved by God does not fix what is broken. This is why there's a cross and a resurrection. Love provides possibilities, but it doesn't do all the work. Warren Farrell said, Love doesn't eliminate defensiveness because love creates vulnerability and defensiveness is vulnerability's mask. So fight your own defensiveness. Lust, love, sex, none of these will knock down the walls we put up, not permanently. Be ready to work on making your marriage the best it can be because anything that matters is worth working on. Test how much you care about it by gauging how much you work to make it better. Third, chase perfection, not happiness. I wish I'd known this one first. Happiness is fickle, and it fades with health and money and security, but meaning can last forever. View your spouse as God's greatest gift to you and then guard them as if they matter. This is more than being faithful to them, though it isn't less than that. When your spouse is God's gift to you, you invest in it above all things. Your marriage is more important than your career or your house or even your kids. Yes, I said that right. Not even your kids are as important as your covenant partner. It's important at this point to insert a disclaimer. A huge reason for our success is that I happened to marry Natasha. I would not have made it with just anyone. Whatever advice I dispense or whatever I think I've figured something out, the truth is that she is the perfect one for me. It doesn't mean she is perfect, but that she is perfect for me. If you've met her, you know what I'm talking about. But back to the issue of kids. Most couples are guilty of making kids the centerpiece of family. Many consider them the fruit of a successful marriage. I do not. You can have kids without a marriage, and you can raise them to be productive adults, but you can't build a marriage around kids without having that marriage suffer the moment the kids are gone. I have seen so many marriages ruin when they enter the empty nest phase because a couple built their existence around the lives of their kids, and then when the kids are gone, they look across the room and wonder who that other adult is. Every day of your marriage is a chance to plant the seeds of the future, the marriage will have happiness and sadness, success and pain. If you chase the best version of yourself in your spouse and provide a mirror for your spouse to see their best version in you, then you chase a mutual goal. Your meaning will overcome your loss 
In other words, you have a fighting chance. Start planting the seeds of the future in the soil of your spouse today. You will face that future together, equipped with one another, or apart and alone. Make money, save money, sure. Leave your kids an inheritance, fine. But internal security and the emotional intelligence of a loving marriage is your children's best inheritance. We should work harder on these than we do on making money or leaving a nest egg. They can blow through the money, but they cannot easily learn of the other. I hope you're happy and that happiness permeates everything you do. But just remember that a happy marriage is less about money, sex, or children than about how we communicate about these things. And as I said before, communication is more than talking. Be honest, work at it, and make the success of your spouse your goal. These three things may not save every marriage, but they'll go a long way toward healing a wayward one and launching scores of successful ones. And one more thought, this time using the scriptures. I've done a lot on the Sermon on the Mount lately and have circled back to the Beatitudes more than once. And here's something I've noticed. The Beatitudes declare their audience to be blessed or blissful. Let's insert the word happy. Happy are the poor in spirit, the mournful, the pure in heart, etc. It never tells us happy is the one who chases happiness. Instead, it's always those whose focus is forced elsewhere. Happy is the one who is hungry for righteousness or justice. They shall be filled. Filled with what? Well, obviously, righteousness or justice. But also, they're filled with happiness because they found what they were looking for. And happiness follows. Ultimately, we find happiness when we look for something important and we find it. The icing on the cake is happiness. Maybe marriage is similar. We want a happy marriage? Work on the things within it. Fill them up in your spouse and in your lives together and be blissful. As I listed these out, I had 10 or 20 more that I know are important. But alas, these three will have to do. Some of you have many more years of success at this than I do, and some of you are far behind. Well, Wherever you are on the journey of marriage or whether you are still certain it just isn't for you, I pray favor over you. Not the kind of favor where you get blessed by just sitting there. No, that's not good for you or your spouse. I pray the kind of favor that flows out of love and sacrifice and honesty. And I pray you learn to grapple with the things in you that need wrestled with. I've done that and I have a lot more to go. And as you face it, you learn to overcome it. And if you're invested in a marriage, your victories within will translate to victories with them. Grow together. Grace to you.